0: 3:35 a.m. I'm pacing my cage. One, two, three, turn. One, two, three, turn. It's Christmas Eve and I pace. My emotions alternate from love to hate, pain to rage. Hurt to confused. I pace to outrun the beast within, the beast made of my pain and my hurt. There is no room for pity or sadness here. No understanding of love from the powers to be. Just pace my cage on Christmas Eve and keep my demons away. I'm at breaking point. I don't know when I will fight. But fight back, I must. One can only be pushed and cornered for so long. You either snap back and fight or break. I will not let them break me. Those are the words written on his internet blog by a man named Cartwright in 2004 from his prison cell on death row in Texas. I stumbled across it in, in a book on church history that I was reading this week and I went to the internet and I started reading through some of the things that this man had written and, and they're horrible, horrible stories. Terrible letters. Here is a man on death row. You know, as, as I read through what he was writing, it struck me how very different his approach to execution was to that of Jesus. This Cartwright was a man, a guilty murderer, convicted, fighting for his life. And as we look at Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, we see the innocent Messiah Himself Allowing himself to be led to the cross. And that last line that I read to you in particular just just stands out to me. You either snap back and fight or you break. You know, if we were to read Mark chapter 15, and leave out the rest of the Gospels, we might get the idea that Jesus broke. That in the end He just gave up. Because He didn't fight back. He he didn't snap back. He just kept quiet. Through all the injustice that He faced, through all the torture, through all the hurt and the accusations, he just kept quiet. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that what Cartwright wrote in Christmas Eve 2004 is the wisdom of this world. The wisdom that says you fight or you break. But what Mark describes for us in in chapter 15 of his Gospel, is nothing less than the wisdom of God, the good news of grace that says, I will neither break and I will neither fight. Last week Mark told us um, about Jesus' trial before the the Jewish high priests and the high council, the the whole Jewish leadership. And, And today as dawn breaks and Peter is crying there in the courtyard, we find the Jewish council in verse 1 taking Jesus to hand Him over to the Roman authorities so that He can be tried and executed with no, well, in due haste. got to remember that, that although the Jewish council last week had found Jesus guilty and, and said that He should die, they didn't actually have the right to execute Him. The, the Romans held the right of execution Um, very jealously. And so the Jewish leaders had to figure out a way that they could get the Roman governor, Pilate, to to see that Jesus needed to die. As a general rule, Rome made a point of of not executing people on religious grounds. And so the Jewish leaders had to give Pilate this impression that that Jesus was a dangerous man, that, that Jesus threatened the Roman way of life that the world would be a better place without Him. And so they, verse 1, bound Jesus. They bound the Prince of Peace. Tied the hands together of the One who had gone willingly when the soldiers came to arrest Him. Tied up the One who refused to react to their goading and their their beating. What, What an incredible irony that is. That the Son of God come to bring freedom to the world, is led away, bound up. Led away to the slaughter. Anyway, as we heard last week, the Jewish leaders had condemned Jesus to death uh, and the excuse they used was that He claimed to be the Messiah. And it seems as we read Mark chapter 15 that that's the same kind of excuse that they took to Pilate. Um, Of course, they worded it a bit differently. They didn't want it to sound religious. They they, they tried to muddy the picture up a bit and they said, "Uh, Pilate, this man is claiming to be the king of Israel. Which of course, the Messiah is the king but they worded it in that way so that, so that to Pilate's ears it might sound like Jesus was putting himself up as an alternative government to that of Rome and that of Caesar. But I wonder if you can picture the scene. I wonder if we can think what Jesus must have looked like that morning as they dragged him bound before Pilate, after having spent the night harassed, and questioned, and hit, and spat on. Can you see him there standing before Pilate in his dirty, probably bloody clothes? His hands tied up. And the Jewish leaders say, Pilate, this man thinks he's the king of Israel. In my NIV translation, verse 2 of chapter 15, Pilate asks, Are you the king of the Jews? Which is right, but I, I like the translation that Eric read from. Because in the original, the emphasis is on the you. You, you are the king of the Jews. You, this bedraggled, this weak looking thing, are the king of the Jews. And Jesus answers, yes. Or to put it another way, Jesus answers, you could say that. In fact, Jesus doesn't give a clear cut. Yes, I am or no, I'm not. He, he gives a sort of roundabout answer. The way the NRB puts it is, it's as you say. Because the question, are you the King? You are the King. It's, it's a question that misses the whole point. On, on one level, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the King, not only of the Jews, but of all people, the King of Kings. But on the other hand, Jesus wasn't coming to rise up against Caesar. Pilate just didn't understand that Jesus' kingship was of a totally different sort to that of any other king or government or ruler. In John chapter 18, John tells us that that Jesus spent some time explaining to Pilate that, that his kingdom is not of this world. And you know what? Pilate kind of got it. He still didn't really understand who Jesus was meant to be. But he did understand that Jesus was not guilty of treason against Rome and against Caesar. I mean, he wasn't a stupid man. You don't get to become governor if you're a stupid man. He could see that all the charges that were being brought against Jesus were trumped up. He could see that every time verse 3, an accusation was brought, verse 5, Jesus kept quiet. Like Isaiah said in, I think, Isaiah 53, 7, As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. And Pilate, we're told, is impressed. He's amazed that, that Jesus doesn't answer these obviously false accusations. As I said, he's not a stupid man. He, he knew, verse 10 tells us, that the reason Jesus was being brought before him was, was pure envy on the part of the chief priests and the Jewish leaders. He could see it in their attitudes. He could see it in their accusations. He could see for himself that Jesus was innocent. Anyway, Mark and the other Gospels tell us that that Pilate had this tradition that every Passover he would release a prisoner, give give amnesty to a prisoner. But I don't know if, if you've ever noticed the thing that makes this particular year interesting is that this particular year, verse 8, the crowd goes to Pilate and asks him to do what he usually did. They came to him and said, stick with tradition, give us one of our prisoners back. And I suspect that that when they went to Pilate that morning, They already had an idea about which prisoner they wanted. I think they wanted Barabbas. Their hero, this insurrectionist, as NIV puts it, this this radicalist who had risen up and taken a stand against Rome and had had tried to throw off the chains of the oppressors. This man who was in jail for murder, We're not told, but I think it's fairly likely that Barabbas would have murdered a Roman. Part of the uprising. You see, I think what we have to remember is that most people in the crowd that day wouldn't have known that Jesus would be there. They wouldn't have known that that this was the day that Jesus was going to stand before Pilate and be tried. Remember, all along the Jewish leaders and the high priests have been very secretive about arresting Jesus. They went and they arrested Him the night before in pitch blackness when there were very few people around to notice. I don't think the crowd was there to see Jesus tried. They'd come with a plan to ask Pilate to release a prisoner. I think they were there to try and get one of their heroes off the hook. You know, I've got an idea that Barabbas would make a great TV hero or a great movie hero. He's the kind of man who refuses to let the bad guys win. He refuses to let the bad guys break him. One of those guys that you can only push so far before he reacts, before he fights back. And isn't that the way TV and movie heroes work? At the end of the day, the good guy saves the day by beating up the bad guys. With a biff and a bam and a G willikers Batman, the good guys win out. And Pilate has this brainwave. He, he knows Jesus is innocent. We've seen that. He can see through the accusations. But I suspect Pilate didn't really want to release one of these guilty murderers who opposed Rome. And you can half see the gears turning in his head. And he says, I don't want to release a guilty man. I've got this obviously innocent person here. Let me give them the innocent one. I'll give amnesty to somebody who doesn't need it. And so he offers Jesus to the crowd, sure that the crowd wouldn't let an innocent fellow Jew die. And the plan might have worked except verse 11, the chief priests stirred up the crowd and they called for Barabbas to be released stuck to their plan. You know, people in the crowd that morning had a choice to make. They had a choice to make between Barabbas and between Jesus. Between the one that just a week before they had welcomed with cries of Hallelujah. And the one who had stood up against Rome. They had a choice that morning about what sort of saviour they wanted. Whether they wanted one who would stand meekly while he was accused in front of the Romans. Whether they wanted a man of action who would stow with the uprising and and, and, and attack the Romans and murder when necessary. I want Wouldn't it be difficult? I'm sure you've all heard what I've been saying anyway. It wouldn't be that difficult, would it, to to convince people to choose somebody who's unafraid to make the tough choices. And again, it's just so ironic that we would choose someone who takes a life over the one who gave his life for our sake. Because at the end of the day, the world says you either fight back or you break. And in the end, Jesus died on the cross that was meant for Barabbas. The guilty Barabbas walks free and Jesus dies. And I wonder if Barabbas ever clicked what had happened that day, that that he was saved by this innocent man's blood. it takes us back to Pilate, his plan to release the innocent and kill the guilty is backfired. And he gives in, verse 15, to the crowd. He, He just wants to satisfy them, so he lets Barabbas walk free, and he condemns Jesus to death row. You know, maybe, just maybe... Some of us wouldn't have been with the crowd that day. But maybe some of us would have been with Pilate. You know, lots of people just like Pilate think of Jesus as a good man. As a good teacher, as a good prophet. Certainly not as someone who deserved death. Certainly worth saving more than a murderer. A lot of people today don't see any harm in Jesus. And yet at the same time, a lot of people don't see who Jesus really is. To put it bluntly, Pilate didn't think Jesus was anyone special. And so when the crowds turned nasty, he couldn't be bothered doing anything to save Jesus. Maybe, maybe you know people like that. People who are willing to put up with Jesus a little bit. Who think he might even be alright. But as soon as life gets tough or circumstances get difficult, they drop him like a hot potato. And so instead of freeing Jesus, Pilate has him flogged. And Mark doesn't go into detail, thankfully, about what that involved. I'm not going to either. I'll just tell you that, that the whip was made of leather, soft leather, and they'd weave bits of bone or, or copper or lead into it. And they would whip you and it would literally shred your skin. Um, according to the history books, quite a few people died just from being flogged. And as if that's not bad enough, we have in verses 16 to 20 this, this horrible, horrible incident with the soldiers. Do you remember the stories we heard a few years back from Abu Ghraib a prison where the Americans and I think the British were, were torturing and doing all sorts of horrible things to their Iraqi prisoners. And I suspect that in some ways the same attitudes that went on in Abu Ghraib—I can never pronounce that—were going on in the palace with the soldiers and Jesus. These Roman soldiers wouldn't have been locals; they would have been people brought in to keep the peace. And they were probably sick and tired of the Jewish people always rising up against Rome and the trouble that they caused, and. And here as they get Jesus into their clutches is a chance for some revenge. A chance to have some fun with the enemy. Even with the one who is the king of the enemy. And can you imagine verse 17 the pain that Jesus must have been in as they took that that robe and they draped it over his raw back. That, that rough fabric scratching into the, the sores. And the crown going on his head, being whacked on, whacked on with sticks. According to who you, you listen to, there would have been between 200 and 600 soldiers involved in this crowd. And they mock Jesus as the enemy and they they mock worship Him as as the King. You know, there's so much irony in this story of Easter. Because the irony here is that they are worshipping the King and they think it's a joke. And yet in their mocking they spoke the truth. There's a great uh, quote I read that says, So powerful is the kingdom that it reaches down even into the hate-filled minds and the venomous lips of its foes, drawing unwitting testimony from those who look without seeing. You know, that man Cartwright stuck on death row in Texas said that there were only two options. He said you can either fight back or you can break. But I think today we've seen the third option. We've seen Jesus' option, the wisdom of God option. The option that doesn't fight back, Jesus goes willingly to the cross. The option that doesn't break, but instead takes our punishment for us. The option that lets us, like Barabbas, walk free while Jesus dies. I mean, this is the message of Easter, isn't it? That Jesus died on the cross for us. The wisdom of God. I love the way Calvin puts it. He says, The face of Christ marred with spittle and blows has restored to us that image which sin has corrupted. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jew and Gentile. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God, standing silent, going in our place. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God, you are the king. The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. (coughs) We're going to stand and sing our last song, Amazing Grace. My chains are gone.